Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood sub-genres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music streaming. Who's on the top and who's rising up? And a new chapter begins for Nashville's historic exit in. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my lovely... Host from coast to coast, Joseph Wazileski, as we continue Woo-woo! our three days yeah. of recording episodes, which is kind of yeah. Um, but we're <laughs> Let's here. Let's go on baby. a marathon, Colin. We're here, baby. Um, a recording marathon. No, we have been. Uh, I guess let's get this out of the way first. Um, yeah, the next two weeks of the show are going to be some. I, I was about to say pre-recorded, like every episode we do is live, but like uh, you know, m- recorded more in advance. How about that? Uh, and that'll be for the episode yeah. on the 28th and the 4th. Um, that is going to be our Grammy episodes. And if you haven't heard about this, if you're a new listener, we are doing Grammy recap stuff of the big four categories. So we're talking records, song, best new artist, and album of the year. And so we, we got are, a lot of hot takes. We do. Like I found Fantano. out. <laughs> God, <laughs> uh, we, maybe next year. Um, but like, uh, yeah, we we went through all the categories. We talked about every, uh, you know, thing in record, song, best new artist, and album of the year, and kind of were like, hey, what do we think is going to win? What do we like? What do we not like? And what do we want to win versus what the uh, Grammys we think will pick, which is a very different thing sometimes. But it was an interesting uh Couple of very packed. So if you really want a long, deep listen, it's not too late. Joe was able to listen to. Yeah, you mo- should listen to it when you're trying to go to sleep. You know, <laughs> like it's like background noise, and it's just two. It's two straight white men <laughs> giving their <laughs> unsolicited Grammy opinion. Oh my god! Yeah, the <laughs> dream, baby. The dream. <laughs> no, but like seriously, yeah, we we listened to it all. I don't think it was that. I would suggest if you want to play along at home, we would really like it. Uh, if you want to listen to yourself again, it's the record, song, best new artist, and be- an album of the year categories. 
Joe listened to it in about two days. So uh, it's it's yeah, possible. I that shit. Um, and it's not like it's like after the 28th and the 4th, we're out, right? Like it's not like, well, you missed the deadline. So if you want to space it out over time and keep it in your back pocket, those episodes will be there for you. And uh, yeah, like I said, they're action-packed. They're pretty long. So yeah, put it in your back pocket, Wolfpack style. And so, yeah. Uh, anyway, Joe, should we just get right into it, or are you? Yeah, let's yeah. jump right in to the chaos that is. I will. Uh, I will say this, this right now. I'm not going to spoil any of it. And the album of the year thing, Joe goes on a very interesting tangent in the beginning of the episode, um, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so I thought maybe I think we'd have it's that. important. Personally, <laughs> important tangent, but. You know, if I get canceled for it, then that's I I would be scary. absolutely shocked if that was that was the if <laughs> you were if you were canceled over that, I would be shocked. Anyway, moving on, Joseph, I don't know what we want to start first with. Um, I guess uh let's uh let's I, do yours. Let's yeah, do yours. Let's start with mine because it's kind of a continuation of the episode before. Like I was talking about I kind of did a recap of 2022 in music, like recorded in the live space and everything like that. But one of the things I found the most annoying about a lot of the data is that streaming services are stingy and lame with their data Mm -hmm. because they want, they want all yours and they don't want to give you any of theirs. So it was, they keep it all pretty close to the chest, but like I was able to actually find after like right after I was like, God, mad at myself um some data about like subscriber numbers and the overall ecosystem of streaming and it's not just spotify again like i kind of went on a rant last episode like spotify is the only one that wants to really publicly say anything because they're a public company and they're the only one really in the dog race that has like this is our bread and butter is being a streaming services. The rest of the main competitors Mm -hmm. all have like other ventures that kind of eclipse their streaming services. So a lot of them like to only say things about their streaming service that are like publicly, you know, positive. Like for instance, here's an example, like YouTube music does not want to say anything about their, you know, numbers, but it'll be like, Oh yeah, we also reached 80 million paid subscribers this last month. And it's like, okay, there's no negatives. There's no like, you know, so this is the whole thing that's really annoying about it. Anyway, uh, the research, uh, I believe like Collective Mida uh, came up with some great research and estimations to finish off my conversation about kind of the health of streaming. So I thought we would go through those. Uh, overall, they kind of do their data at the midpoint of the year, which you may have noticed from the last episode. If you listen to that, a lot of the data was from the midpoint. It's because it takes a lot of time for all this data to aggregate and to become Mm -hmm. a lot of like out in the public and companies to kind of catch up and, you know, give accurate data. So a lot of this is at the midpoint of 2022, but even at the midpoint of 2022, apparently there was over 612 million subscribers to music streaming across the world. And that's across all services, 612 Mm -hmm. million, which is about double the size of the United States. If that gives you a kind of, you know, easier estimation. That's two United States times two United States. I believe it might be kind of like 1.75, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, that's like bigger than Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It is bigger than a smaller part of the metaphor that I gave you. Thank you. Um, 
anyway, the point is, is that it's a huge number. Um, we don't know what the overlap is. That's what I was trying to find out because there are a lot of people. Cause like you can't just say it's based mostly on just paying subscribers. And there's a lot of people out there that end up paying for different services, even though they don't realize they do such as like Amazon. You know, if you have Amazon prime, you have access to Amazon music. So mm-hmm. that's an example of it. There's some people that have YouTube premium that don't realize that they also have YouTube music. So it's kind of not like a tomatoes, tomatoes thing. It's probably a little bit less than that. Um, but it's still a pretty high number. And overall, uh, since 2021, there has been a 17.6% increase in subscribers across the world. So 17%, the market is still getting bigger, you know, even though we make a lot of jokes about, you know, streaming and everything. It is still a huge market that has a lot of room to grow. I mean, if you said a business grew 20%, yeah, that's a big deal. Um, Many actually were pretty scared of what these numbers were going to be just because of like macroeconomics, you know, the eternal recession talk that has been going on for the last, you know, six or seven months and everything. Mm -hmm. And so they were happy to see there was still a substantial increase in subscribers across all streaming services, but it is notably less than uh, the mid 2020 to mid 2021 timeline, which when there was a gain of like 109 million subscribers. So like you're, you're seeing close to, I believe, I believe that's like closer to 20, 22%, um, which Again, it's not nothing, but it is notable to kind of have a, you know, decrease. But I mean, that might just be from the isolation of the pandemic, you know, and everybody wanting to kind of connect digitally to a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, a big reason, actually, that there was still a subtle increase. I shouldn't say subtle, a substantial increase in subscribers of music services across the world is actually Tencent Music Entertainment which you may have heard us mention previously in the past. They are not really, from my understanding, readily available in the West. I tried my best to see if you could get a Tencent music subscription in America. I cannot find anything like that. The point is is that Tencent is a giant Chinese media conglomerate. Other than funding many of the many hundreds of games that people love, they have a huge music division, and Mida estimates that it actually overtook Amazon Music this year, becoming the third biggest streaming service due to a huge increase in Chinese subscribers. Um, Tencent is alleged to, based on Mida's data, has a, around a 13% market share of the entire world of streaming. Damn. But most of it is in the Chinese market. It is a majority, from what I've read a majority of the Chinese market subscriptions. So mm-hmm. they seem to have not really expanded worldwide, but China has a huge amount of growth available to streaming services, which we will get into a little bit later. Uh, moving to the number one spot, uh, it is not surprising. It is Spotify, um, which has a total of 187 million subscribers which means it has around 30% of the world market share, which, God, when she put that into perspective, um, still not as much as Live Nation and promoting. Anyway, won't get off that hill. Uh, (laughs) Important to note, though, is that Mida also states that Spotify has, quote, its market share steadily eroded since Q4 of 2020. And the 30% market 
like share I mentioned earlier is actually down, which is surprising like in some ways, but it's also kind of makes sense given the turmoil Spotify has gone through. Uh, Spotify used to have 33% of the market as in 2018, which sounds like a downer entirely, but like Mida kind of counters, uh, you know, a lot of that erosion talk that I kind of mentioned by also saying that uh, Spotify's market share decline has more to do with the growth, or not more, has much to do with the growth of the Chinese market where Spotify doesn't operate. So the overall pool has increased, but Spotify's pool of the market hasn't increased, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily from a, you know, abandoning as much. It's more of the pool of people who are able and want to join a streaming ecosystem has increased a lot, but Spotify hasn't Mm -hmm. increased reciprocally with it. Uh, At the number two spot, another non-surpriser is Apple Music, which uh, Maida actually had a very scathing, like, quote, which I kind of love, which we can get into after I finish the story. It's like, they said, quote, uh, Apple Music has continued its long-term trend of underperforming the market with a 13.8% market share, which is second in the world. So that's not really that bad, but like we can kind of get into why maybe I agree with them a lot on that. Uh, The fourth spot is Amazon music, which I uh, kind of alluded to earlier with Tencent taking them up to the third spot. And the fifth spot, my eternal hole in my armor, YouTube music, baby. We're here. We're here. Yeah, we're here. You're Um, there at the bottom. They've actually made a lot of strides recently. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> uh, but like they've made a lot of strides recently with their like family plan stuff that has actually secured a lot of subscriptions. But either way, um, I'm going to end mm-hmm. the piece with uh, Midas Mark Mulligan in a blog post writes about kind of the overall future of the music subscription space. Quote, the global music subscriber market is approaching a pivot point with the slowdown in mature Western markets contrasting with more dynamic growth in other regions, which is pretty makes sense given, you know, Tencent's China kind of, you know, huge acquisitions and subscribers and everything like that. Quote, mm-hmm. the slowing growth should be the catalyst for what needs to come ne- next, especially in developed markets. Unlocking growth pockets through differentiation. Does this sound familiar to you, Joseph? Does this sound like anything I've ever said in my life? Quote, Western DSPs have managed to grow with largely undifferentiated product propositions. Music rights holders, and this is the weirdest part, I have to say, quote, music rights holders should explore creative ways in which they can empower their DSP partners with differentiated content assets to enable them to... Uh, super serve specific consumer segments and thus unlock extra growth within them, which, wow, that was a very, why, <laughs> why is that the rights holders job? And though? I wanted to add that on first is the thing. Why, <laughs> why the is hell is the rights, holder? the rights holder? Yeah. Why is it the rights holders job for me to make creative content to differentiate for Spotify? Yeah. So or that they Apple. can make more money off of my music. Why is that my job as a rights holder? I I don't know. It's very it's a very consumeristic capitalistic viewpoint of it. I, I think it's like it's like, yeah, come on, guys, like let's do it. But it's like ultimately DSPs are not making artists money. Like, why would artists want to fund because like artists have to fund everything. Even if they have a team, most of the time they are getting 
into deals, whether it's like label deals or even distribution deals that even have perks such as like, you know, tour support and stuff like that, that is all recouped. So eventually the artist is going to pay it out of pocket anyways. Like any of the, but at least like you're getting that like perk, you know, even if you're digging your yeah, hole, and you're like, getting that's something. rare nowadays right. too. Like tour support rarely happens now. It's um, like at least you're getting something, but you're digging a hole. But a lot of these DSPs, yeah. it's like, well, you're gonna make very little money off of this, and then your label is gonna take it anyway. So I, yeah, it's I not just, really I like think a, it's just insane. <laughs> I don't think like really just, and it's not like the DSPs are running to really like, you know create a one-on-one relationship with every artist that is remotely having a career, right? They really pick and choose these like big artists, like a Drake or a bad bunny. And you know what I mean? And they form their like top 200, 300 relationships. And then they kind of just let the breadcrumbs fall. You know what I mean? And oh uh, boy, do they, I just, it, <laughs> those I, are tiny, it, tiny breadcrumbs. It bothered me so much when it said it's the music rights holders should explore. We've been exploring creative ways, right? Like I, everybody's yeah. making TikToks and B reels and, and we've made that we need, they need the DSPs to like <laughs> kind like of expand the B reels, the B reels. Um, that's the yeah. technical term for it. Um, but like, no, what I'm serious though, like I feel like, the DSPs need to, and I've said this for a long time, which is even, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but yes, I do think one of the main things that is problems with DSPs is that they all have this Spotify look to them. They have the same freaking features with each other most of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to differentiate. And like, this isn't an ad at all. I just, I'll explain to you why it's one of the few reasons that I use YouTube music because There's a lot of advantageous things for me on there compared to other platforms, especially because I like to listen to a lot of music that's only on YouTube. And so I get, oh, okay, cool. I get access to this thing. It's easy to put in playlists, whatever. You know, if I want to listen to a Doobie Brothers, the end remix, I'm going to put it on this playlist. Cool. It's not on streaming for obvious reasons because of rights holder stuff, but I like that kind of stuff. But the point is, is that like, they're all the same. Like, right? Like, it just comes mm-hmm. down, and I've said this a thousand times, it just comes down to price, right? And that seems to be the only differentiator. Like, differentiator. Well, that and, you know, honestly, playlisting is is one of the most important parts of DSPs that but do Spotify you, has understood do and you set think, the, the bar very would high you, that. I, Like, do you think consumers, though, are going to look at different DSPs from a playlisting perspective? Cause I, yeah, I do. I I. I think that's one of the main reasons Spotify has maintained their top status is because they have so many playlists and it's it's because of their focus on that that a lot of people have been able to discover music more. Um, I do think like it's frustrating for me because for me, I, I personally don't like to go hunting through playlists. What I like to do is I, I really prefer an algorithm to like, you know, like a discover weekly situation to give me music that it thinks I would like. However, their AI, Spotify's AI is really suffering, especially recently um, with the discover weekly thing, especially because it'll just give me music that I've already listened to. And it's like, you know, if I didn't like the song when I listened to it, you could just assume that if I'm not streaming it more and more, I don't like the song and maybe just don't show me the song again. I but just have a hard time. Like, 
I, you know, because I really did give it a good go. Because I, I, at the time, I was on Google Play and I was going to jump ship to something else. And I was like looking around. And to me, I just felt like all of these, and maybe completely opposite to you, Joe, is like, I just felt like, okay, they all have playlisting. And I don't feel like one is superior well, to the other in I, some I, demonstrably way. Yeah. And like, that's kind of my thing with it is like they all have that. Um, the one that drives me and you crazy is that all of their UIs look exactly the same, um, which mm-hmm. is like they all look like Spotify. Like I remember when YouTube music like first came out and uh, it had just because it used to be Google Play music and Google Play music had a very distinct look to it, but it was still kind of looked like Spotify. And then YouTube music came out and it was and it's still really looks like Spotify with like all of the album artwork and the, you know, kind of like, Oh, here's like a weird subsection pick. That's like, like I'm looking at mine right now. It's like, listen again. And then pictures of albums. And then it's like quick picks. And then it's like, here's how to start a radio station. And I'm like, if I go to my Spotify, it looks almost the same. Um, but it, it's just weird. Cause I just, there's such a lack of innovation in that space because they haven't been forced to, you know, like they've never yeah. been forced to, and we haven't had a good disruptor there. I think, you know, there have been strides, but like, you know, Spotify. Okay, cool. We, you can put a little video with your music. Okay. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, um, there was a beta testing thing that Spotify did. I want to say like four or five years ago. Um, that was actual long form video content. Um, and it was like a live session series where Spotify filmed, um, like some, uh, I think it was like actual concerts and they would like, they uploaded some certain songs and stuff like that. And I'm assuming it didn't perform very well, but to be honest with you, like the quality of the video and the audio was like amazing. You know, I think I know exactly Um, what you're talking about. Was it the Spotify landmark stuff? And um, I think it was so it like Twin Peaks had like, uh, yeah, a, and uh, like Tears for Fears them. had one, and like, yeah, a bunch of those days. And I remember I was like, this but is now cool. it's like, now it's like, oh, you're a big artist, okay, well, you're gonna talk to your iPhone and you're gonna upload it, it's gonna be at the top of your album the whole time for some reason, and it's gonna be like, hello, thank you for listening to my album here's a track for track. And it's like, I don't want this. <laughs> like I just, most people I, don't. I, I just, feel like, this is like the thing. It's like, I, I completely disagree with the idea of the music ragged holders to expand it because it's like they have created DSPs have created an environment where no one wants to participate with these companies. They're just forced to, you know what I mean? So it's yeah, like, because it's like, it's like, you're not paying me enough money to create so i would like dsps to to like extend resources or something like that idea like you were saying like what if we did live session stuff and it was on spotify and it's only on spotify and we'll pay for the production stuff and we'll record it and whatever and you know you get your percentage and we get you know maybe you get a like a little guarantee with it and everything and like why that sounds cool as fuck i would i'd be down for that you know what i mean like that would make me want to maybe do spotify stuff you know what i mean like listen to spotify i know they've tried very hard in the one thing I will say, which we've actually brought up on the show before 
Spotify really went off on like, hey, we're an audio company. We're not a music company. And they went solely mm-hmm. into podcast stuff. And they were just throwing out like podcast features that music people would die for, like analytics stuff and all that's kind of like weird, like a email mail list. And I was like, are you kidding me, Spotify? Like that was like one of the things that I remember. So maybe they mm-hmm. were like, let's just force it to this because podcasts have more of a direct revenue kind of stream that people are used to with like, you know, subscriptions and Patreon and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's still, no, I just think it's like one of those things where there is a forced participation factor from, you know, musicians that you have to participate in this ecosystem. Um, and there's just a lot of people at the top and it's like, huh, why would we spend money on it? Because people know who it's Spotify is and we have this much market share, so we don't need to innovate. But I think that Mm -hmm. might be echoed in why you're seeing drops and stuff. And I would like to see something competitive in the DSP space that's not just money. And moving on to the next thing, Apple Music. I really think Apple Music, realistically, should far, like this is my theory, should far and far away be the number one streaming service. Not because I like them, but because of their advantages compared to especially a lot of the other DSPs where... Yeah, I mean, they definitely have more of an infrastructure. I actually would argue if we're looking at infrastructure, it would be Amazon Music. So here's Um, why I argue Apple, like on paper, should be the biggest DSP, but it's not because they just don't do it as much. One, it is downloaded on every iPhone immediately. It is just on there. There's nothing else. It is the default music app. It is in the corner of the phone when you start the phone, right? Um, yeah, and nobody uses it. And well, <laughs> the, I, well, a lot of people use it. I mean, it's the second most, and I do know people that use it, but it's like not the same. You know what I mean? It's like it's almost like for a lot of people, it's kind of like a you know Internet Explorer situation. <laughs> Where it's like, here it is, and then download another browser. Uh, excuse me, you mean Microsoft Edge? Edge yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> sponsored by Bing. Anyway, the point is, is that, like, I mean, there's people that clearly listen to it because it's the second most, but like, it should far and away be a, the first, right? And then on top of that, like, Spotify has, you know, brand recognition now. It didn't have it back in the day. Guess what did? iTunes iTunes far and away had the most screwed themselves. And this is what I'm getting into is that like they screwed themselves. They had the most brand awareness out of any technology company to, to just pivot right into streaming, but they didn't want to be an early adopter of it. And they didn't want to give up the 99 cents per song metric. And I think that's really what led to them getting late in the game and stuff. And like Apple music in a lot of ways, like is not very inviting to a lot of people. And it's kind of crazy to think about because it, again, it's, it's on every iPhone immediately on the front page. It has a brand that is built on music, right? Apple was built on the iPod. You know what I mean? Like the computers were huge, but then the iPod and the iPhone took it to a different level. So it's like on paper, Apple music should far, far away be the number one, but they, like you said, they just threw it away. Like, 
Well, that's because, Colin, the most important thing, as we know with a streaming service, is that you have a Dolby Atmos mix instead of just a regular now regular old. I've mix, gotten into you know? so like, that's, many. That's what's really gonna I've get gotten the people into going. so many fights, Joe, with the audio <laughs> nerds about this, and I don't like. They go, "It'll be the future." It'll be the future. And I go, yeah, one day, right? And they go, no, today. And I'm like, you got to back off. You got to, you got to. <laughs> Here's the thing. The, you can't enjoy it if you don't have a Dolby Atmos system installed professionally in your But you can gear. do it with AirPods, like, but it's not, it's yeah, simulating No, you can't it. though. <laughs> That's what it is. It's simulating it and it does it pretty well. But like, here's my problem with the whole argument of it. Do I think they're right and people could embrace Atmos over time? Yes, but I think the technology overall has to catch up. I think people need to have a need to listen to Atmos and want to actively do it, which I do see people exploring that whatever. And But here's the deal. One, it's either going to be like a Betamax situation, which was supposed to replace the VHS and didn't, or a HD CD that was supposed to replace mm-hmm. the or DVD. I'm sorry, HD DVD that was supposed to replace DVDs and it didn't. Blu-ray did. Um, it could be one of those. Or my opinion is that it's like talking about VHS in 1965. Like, it's like, yeah. yeah, what the hell? Yeah, that makes sense. Tapes that could hold all your videos and stuff. That'd be great in like 20 years. This is what I'm saying. So, like, I'm not trying to be ignorant. I do think there is a future for it, but I think it, it's ignorant to be like, it's now, baby. But, um, well, I think it's, it's convenience too, right? Like, I think, especially consumers and DSP consumers, they, the whole reason Spotify took off is the convenience of having an unlimited library of music on your phone for a small amount of money that you can access at any time, anywhere. And basically do anything. So I'm glad you brought that up. I want to know what your opinion is. Do you think Spotify's weathered the storm that they've been through for the last like two years? Um, No, actually. No. I think think the storm has not even come yet. I think that um, if there's anything that we can learn from, it's the Netflix model is currently failing. It's under siege. And yeah. And what I mean by that is, is Netflix was very smart in the beginning of like, okay, let's get everybody to stream and subscribe to our um, streaming service. Uh, And then they moved away from the physical format into just the streaming service. And then they got the rights to things. Then they started making their own content and then going down that road. Spotify still has a leg up of most people are making their content and then distributing it on their service instead of Spotify making content, right? Yeah. And I think that is a benefit and it has a bit of an edge up to something like like Netflix, but the way that Spotify is growing and has grown so fast and most likely will continue to grow, it's just been down primarily due to the pandemic in my opinion and also just like, you know, unsure about how, you know, w- what this economic year is going to bring us. But Netflix is really struggling, um, and so is Amazon as well, just like with they are so big that they've gone through so many people that they have devalued their own service 
And because of that, and because the surface is devalued, it makes it very hard and very difficult for people to to stick around, you know, and like want to pay money for it and want to increase the amount of money Fair. that they're paying for it. So like, for example, right, Amazon is having a extremely hard time finding workers to work in their warehouses because they have gone through so much turnaround that they've literally, they're projected to go through like an entire population of the U.S., right? And like very, very soon. I think it's like in a couple of years or something. And that's awful for Amazon, right? Because they're they're going to be out of workers. Nobody's going to want to come back, especially with how horrendous the working conditions are there. The way that Netflix is working is everybody on the planet has had access to Netflix either for free or for like $9 to $15 a month, right? But if Netflix increases their amount to like $30 a month or $50 a month, that's where it starts to be, okay, this is just becoming cable again. And I don't want to pay this money because it's not worth this much money ultimately, right? That is a great argument. And where Spotify... Yeah, I mean, and where Spotify is getting in a hole is is very similar to Netflix of just like they are so cheap, essentially, and have gone with the method of making sure that every single person has had a Spotify account, that they're not considering the fact that they have already set the precedent for how music is like what the value of recorded music is for people in their lives. Yeah. Right. They've completely cut out the amount of money, which like, you know, it was going to go that way. If Spotify didn't do it, it was going to be somebody else. Um, but it is a bit of like, this is just kind of the beginning of it. I think it's actually like, if Spotify gets bigger, that's where the problems are going to start coming in because it's like, okay, well now it's like, we, we really had to retain these people. And you know, if, say artists start to get more power in legislation in the US or abroad and they have to get paid more money and Spotify is still not giving money to their investors and now all of these songwriters and artists um these these song rights holders are coming after them for for bigger payouts they're going to have to increase prices at that point and they're going to be in a bit of a a bind with consumers because consumers are so used to paying cheap for content, you know? So that's my little soapbox. I, I think you're, I think you're definitely <laughs> right about it. It's definitely going to be for a lot of people. It's just inflation and all that stuff, you know, looms over time, which it always will. It does not feel for a lot of people that there is an increased value and it would be one thing if these companies were, you know, and a lot of them were just raking in profit for profit, but a lot of these are trying to develop these brands into giant profit centers that haven't reaped their internal investment yet, like you're saying with Netflix. So it's going to be a really hard stretch when you're like, hey, by the way, we want to increase your prices and we didn't really add anything else other than just like music that's also available everywhere because everybody uploads everywhere. So it's going to be a hard sell for a lot of people to be like, well, you're 
three dollars more expensive, I'm just going to jump to the other guy, and it's like a race downward, and that's not good for the overall like DSP marketplace and or artists. So, yeah, I I do think it needs innovation in a substantial way. Um, in terms of like differentiating them, like like uh Mark Mulligan said from Midas, but like specifically in ways that from the DSP that we need to see, I think, personally. I don't think this comes on the right mm-hmm. shoulders. So. No, I don't think so either. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made, and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. 
from classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Wark, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, anyways, Joseph, tell me about what's take me, uh, take me back to down the street from me. Let's talk about... Good old Nash Vegas, baby. I feel like I just uh, need like a guitar riff in there or something. (laughs) And like a handlebar mustache. Um, All right. So... We're going to talk about Exiden and the story of Exiden. It's one of the most famous venues, arguably in the U.S., perhaps even the world, um, because of the amount of talent that has broken through this venue um, over the years. Um, But if you didn't hear, um, beloved Nashville venue Exiden was recently sold off um, to new owners, as well as... uh, basically ditching the current talent buyer and kind of this new company buying it from under him essentially because he was renting it out. So let's kind of break down um, what's going on. So the company that bought Exit In is called AJ Capital Partners and they bought the property for around $6 million as well as like another property next to Exit In. That's like a, it's like a bar and restaurant Um, that they also bought. And then I think they got one more building out of it as well. Um, But this is the company that has also built the Live Nation building in Wedgwood, Houston, which if you live in Nashville, you know, it's like where all the red bricks are. Um, It's also where like, uh, there's this like, 
I don't know. There's just like this club there that like a bunch of music industry people go to to schmooze and stuff. Um, it's like a members only thing. Um, that's talking about Soho and then, yeah, Soho house, uh, is, is there. It's like the first one in Nashville. Uh, Santa's Um, pub. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Santa's pub. The greatest karaoke bar in Georgia. Santa's pub. That's Soho house. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they're also opening up a 4,500, uh, capacity venue over there as well. Um, and it seems like they own most of Wedgwood Houston, because like they're they've been renovating that whole space for uh, years now, which Colin I don't know are they like almost done with that over there? Have you been over there recently? I've been to Santa's uh, <laughs> over there. I don't usually <laughs> hang out over there a lot. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Santa's is like in a trailer next. To, <laughs> next I'm pretty to sure Wedgwood that's across. The, are you talking about? Is, I'm pretty sure there's the venue in Geodosis Park or whatever, right? Is that where you're talking about? I think um, it's where uh, Flamingo is. Oh. It's like that area. Yeah. Um, People listening are like, what the fuck are these? Sorry. Things? Yeah. If Santa's, you're not from Nashville, Santa's this is pub, getting really nerdy. Flamingo? The point what is, the fuck yeah, is this shit? The Flamingo? Um, anyway, it's a very hip spot of town, um, but also where Exit Inn is, is also like a very prolific uh, part of town that has unfortunately come under the issue of, uh, of landowners selling um, the land to bigger companies since the pandemic. Um, so other venues that the uh, this current company, AJ Capital Partners, have include New Orleans's Joy Theater, the Senate in Columbia, South Carolina, Houston's White Oat Oak Music, Music Hall, and Iron City in Birmingham, Alaska, which I didn't even know Alaska had a Birmingham. So what happened? Well, after moving their HQ from Chicago to Nashville, AJ Capital bought up the venue uh, with Chris Cobb remaining the tenant of the venue, basically. So he's getting rented the venue. Yep. Right. He doesn't own it. He's getting rented it. Um, and essentially, he got priced out so that they could take over the venue and, and put their own um, promoter and talent booker in there uh, to make money off of it. Because essentially, Exit In has been doing pretty well as a venue, even during the pandemic has had a lot of support, especially locally in Nashville. Well, you know, I told, I've mentioned on the show before I was at, like, I was in a zoom call actually with Chris Cobb and he was super nice. Mm -hmm. And he's also one of the main uh, people in the uh, national independent venues association who was lobbying the Congress for like for support to all these venues that had no work in the pandemic. Super nice guy. And he like, yeah, like he's been there like almost like what, like 18 years or so? 18 yeah, years. And he, yeah. And he like been running it for 18 years. He, he is by far the longest person running. Yeah. Movie, he I told think. me, he, he told us kind of like, I was in a zoom call with a bunch of people, but basically he told us that he like had a partner and they both ran it for a while. And then basically they Josh made a, Baloo was the partner. Yeah, yeah. And they basically made a deal where he would become the sole operator of exit in and the other guy would get, I believe the signal in Chattanooga to run. And so they like, that's how they split their partnership. He goes, I want this one and you get this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. So it, it, it's been amazing for to watch that venue, like really, you know, be a very central fighter in the, like, you know, getting support congressionally for independent venues associations as well as mm-hmm. doing well in their own right when it came to, you know, 
what the hell are we going to do during the pandemic? Yeah, and I mean, historically too, like Exodent has been such a great venue, not only for local acts to book, but also for touring acts to book as well, because it's kind of, it kind of balanced perfectly like the local with the touring. It was the come up uh, venue, if, man. Like if you were yeah. coming up and you might be a giant star, you are going to go through the Exit Inn in Nashville if you're going on, you know, it. There's a, a lot of people tour. that would have rather played Exit Inn to Basement East, which is like twice the size. Right. Almost of, of Exit Inn. So it's, it's, this is one of the reasons why it's such a big deal. Um, because especially for showcases and industry showcases, it's like a huge part of the industry ecosystem out there. Um, but, oh, and also too, like to get out of the Nashville bubble, I mean, Exodent was one of the only venues to actually book like rap, hip hop, rock acts, R&B acts, like acts that are not country music essentially uh, in Nashville. And so it made it a lot easier if you're like an indie artist to get into the market a bit more than a lot of the other venues because Ultimately, Nashville's a hard market to to bust into, and Exit In was willing to take the risk with some people. Mm-hmm. But since the pandemic, uh, like Colin said, Cobb had been struggling to keep the venue going and uh, and growing as shows couldn't be put on, and there wasn't enough money to essentially keep the lights on. He had to let go of pretty much all of the staff um, during the pandemic, um, and was able to hire back some of the people, but it just, they could not get the momentum um, back up, mostly because in 2020, the sale to AJ Capital happened and Cobbs had to kind of get all hands on deck to campaign against this company buying the venue, essentially. And uh, this is a big company in like with multiple venues in multiple states buying up a small business, right? Cobb only has like, what? He had like three venues, if that. It's hard to go against a corporation that has the term capital in their name. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, exactly. From Chicago, you know, coming to Nashville. So it was a big uphill battle and uh, Cobb's didn't go out without a fight. He started a GoFundMe campaign in order to try to buy the property with $200,000 um, and even raised 271000 but was unsuccessful in buying the club. Uh, since then, Cobb pledged to donate the money to uh, NIVA, which is the National Independent Venue Association. Yep, which I mentioned as well as the mm-hmm, As well as the Music Venue Alliance. Um, currently, Cobb declined to comment on the Billboard arg- article that this is like that. what I'm basically pulling this from. Um, it could be from a multitude of different reasons. I doubt that he didn't give the money. Uh, Cobb is very much a Nashville staple and I, he's pretty known to stay true to his word in a lot of cases, but I'm sure that he's getting a bunch of press um, since all of this has gone on and I'm, he might not want to be in the forefront of it. So he might not be answering any questions, but I, I sure hope he gave that money to, to uh, these, um, these alliances because I think a lot of based on what I mean, he literally, like I said, he was the like, you know, figurehead of the national independent venue association. I, and you Mm -hmm. know, has a great track record. So I very much doubt. So, I mean, it just might not be like you're saying, like he's probably getting bombarded with, you know, comments and all this kind of stuff. 
for sure. Um, but in April 2021, Cobb also tried filing trademarks for the name, quote, Exit In Nashville's Music Forum, as well as, quote, Exit In Nashville's Music Forum, 50 years and counting 50. Smart move, my but man. They were a, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of left to center. It was like almost there, but... But uh, it was opposed by AJ Capital in October that contended that the license agreements that tenants sign uh, only grant a limited license to the use of the name Exit In on the leased premises only. So you can't use the name Exit In off of the premises, pretty much, yeah. uh, to support the business. Um, and that the landlord, quote, at all times shall retain sole and exec- exclusive ownership and right to the name Exit In, subject only to the limited license granted herein. So pretty much, I mean, it's in writing well, that it's not well, his I mean, well, trademark. I don't know if he's going to so fight it or what. Yeah, it just depends on how that contract is written at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm as, it's it kind of passed the property from one big property owner to another big property owner. And I'm assuming that they did have it in writing. Um, but yeah, we, we don't know for sure. We don't have the contract in front of us, but there's a lot of history with this venue that, um, I think people should know about, which billboard kind of does a great breakdown. Um, they say quote opening in 1971 with a, uh, performance by Jimmy Buffett, the bare bones, 500-person capacity exit in has been one of the city's most enduring and popular venues and a mainstay of Nashville's rock music scene, hosting a diverse slate of artists including Billy Joel, Etta James, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Linda Ronstadt, Muddy Waters, Jason and, and the Scorchers, R.E.M., and more. On the back cover of the police's Zinetta Modata, uh, Sting is wearing an exit in shirt. Episodes of the CMT series Western Beat with Billy Block, which grew out of Block's Western Beat Roots, Roots revival, were also taped at Exit In in the beginning of 2000. And also, I feel like that's almost like they're leaving out a ton of other shit. Because, like, I mean, th- like so many indie acts have come up through that. I mean, Paramore is one of the first venues for Paramore to play, which, like, I'm actually shocked they didn't include Paramore on there. Um, I also think Taylor Swift played Exit In like multiple times. Um, and I don't think they included that as well. But um, essentially, people were quoted uh, afterwards. There was two two of the venue owners in the past, or not venue owners, the, the talent buyers, I guess, the people running the business, uh, Ned Horton and Rick uh, Wetzel, who both operated Exit In, and they were quoted in the article basically saying that the venue is in good hands and that with the use of the insane amount of money that AJ Capital has, it will most likely thrive. Which, like, I will say, there is a couple things that AJ mentioned that they're going to do that I do think should have happened years ago, which is they're going to uh, update the bathroom and... (laughs) the green room which that is such a specific thing been, yeah that is so specific okay, but like, if, you've if been any in that of room. you have been in exit in you know that the bathroom is like the dingiest shit ever like it's like it's basically going into a back alley it's, just it's so like wild to think on about the stage. that shared experience it's, <laughs> dude it's crazy because it's like on the stage so if you have to piss during the performance you have to go on the stage <laughs> and go to the right pretty much so it's kind of crazy. And then the the green room is decrepit. Like it is the worst 
it's like one of the worst green rooms I've ever been in, hands down. So that's something that definitely should have been um, updated for sure Mm -hmm. um, years ago. But uh, that's a good thing. I think the difference is it's just going to be it's going to be a different um, amount of people kind of coming into the space. It seems like AJ Capital is much more country music focused um, in a lot of their other venues, which is a bit of a bummer because Exit In has always been out of the Nashville That would be my nightmare. Bubble a it's bit. just, howdy, y'all. Yeah. Welcome to Exit In. How are y'all? You know what I mean? And I it's think like, okay. There's a lot of people that fear that that's what it's going to turn into. Um, and there's so many of those venues already. And so it would be absolutely dreadful if that's the case. Um, and to be honest, I think it would, I think they would lose a lot of local Nashville. Well, people. you know, as Nashville has this weird fight with itself where it's like, yeah, let's uh, make it, you know, one of my monikers that I tell people is that I try to make Nashville music city, not just one genre, music and, you know, Exit In has done a great job at having diversity when it comes to that, either from, you know, rock bands and stuff like that. I mean, it was funny, like, when you said, like, I, when that Billboard article says, really, it has a rock music scene, I go, Etta James. Etta James, I would not put in the rock music scene, but that's almost like more of a, you know, flex for the yeah. Exit In. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, for, uh, I, it's insane. Like, if you... So in the front of the exit end building, there's a mural with all of the names of people like who've played exit end in the past. It's like one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen in a venue. It's just so like, you just know that you're in history a bit. Um, but apparently that's all been painted over. No. So has it, I haven't been yeah. by there in a minute. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm almost Are you positive. kidding Cobb. me? No way. I'm almost positive Cobb painted it over <laughs> out of spite. And I, I don't know if that's the case, but yeah, it's painted oh over. Oh my God. And, Exit in uh, mural painted over. I see it now. Um, yeah. Name board taken and it's, down. It's so depressing because it's just like, I, I think here's the thing. Cobb has been a powerhouse for that venue for 18 years. The venue has been around for longer than Cobb has. Um, it has passed through ownership and people before. And it does look like, it's gonna survive. I will say that was one thing that I did not like about this narrative is I saw a lot of people because it it honestly confused me was a lot of people were like, it's over. I think a lot of it was because Cobb took over the, so he had the socials, you know, and they like, they were like, yeah, we're closing down because technically they are technically it's going to be a new business coming that in will most likely operate it. under the exit in banner yeah and i get it yeah you know what i mean like you get this big corporate entity versus this kind of like very small homegrown thing that's been here for 20 years you know what i mean that's a very different vibe so yeah i mean closes is appropriate but yeah like what, what i would say is like it was definitely confusing to read about because you know like you're like yeah. oh but it's still going on anyway which it's almost like I don't know, a big, like, you know, middle finger up to <laughs> AJ Capital to be like, yeah, it's close. Tell everybody it's close. There's nothing here now. And, you know, like, they're like, no, we're renovating. Well, no, it's I mean, close. Um, Cobb was very adamantly against this buyout. I mean, I sure. am too. But, he, like, it's. He should- knew he was going to get priced out. That, like, that's the thing. It's like he wasn't going to be able to afford to keep it 
or or really even given the chance or the option to buy the venue, which I think is like, I, I mean, it's, I know from a business perspective, you're going to take the 6 million over the 200 grand, you know, but it is like the option would have been nice, you know, if it was like, this is the price point. Can you meet us here? And if cop couldn't, then that was the case. But like, man, it's just, it's just tough. You know, it's like, it's one of those things. It's like Cobb has really done a great job in the 20 years to really make that venue something very, very special in music city. And it's not going to be the same anymore, but you know, it may, maybe it'll be even better. Who knows? Like we'll see, but it is a bit disappointing and depressing where it's like these small businesses are just getting trumped over by these massive, Mm -hmm money-making conglomerates you know and yeah it's it's tough i I agree it's tough i just you know it's it's rough to hear and read about and all that kind of stuff i just think that um it's one of those things that's sadly very typical you know and not necessarily like again like you're saying i i would like to be optimistic but at the same Mm -hmm. time it's like how are you gonna live up to this man like you know what i mean like how is this you know national corporation going to give the same personalized feel that this small club with years of history has been able to do with very tight-knit owners and stuff like that and when you get like more of a corporate entity involved in that that's a pretty difficult thing to carry over so i uh Mm -hmm. I'm not optimistic, but I'm not ruling out that it could be okay, you know? But, like, it's definitely, like, one of those things where I would like to give them a chance, you know, to continue on Exit In's legacy, but I am not too optimistic about it, given yeah. especially some of the other establishments. As you so re- that worried. That- I'm so worried about the country music aspect of it. I'm fine because, because country music, you know, will come in, it comes into exit in. I just don't want it to be like, you know, like I said, like, howdy y'all, you welcome to Nashville. You want to come see a show here? You know what I mean? Oh God, please. Like we no, have I mean, that Exodus everywhere. It's always been for, it's always been for the locals. And we have know? that everywhere it's, else where it's like, you know, it's like one of the things that I would definitely not want to take away from the exit in, you know, it would just be really funny. Here's my only theory about that. I feel like they would still rely on the history aspect, right? They would still be like, this is yeah, a historic I mean, they're venue. Gonna, they're going to put that mural right. back up. probably. Right. But here's what I, I, I feel like Jimmy Buffett would be in a bigger font. I think Jim, Johnny cash would be in a bigger <laughs> font. I think, you know, you, like, you see what I'm saying? It's like, that's what I would see happening. And I would be like, that's the cue. So maybe if I drive by and they put the mural by and I just look at it and I go, let's see how the fonts have changed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's my only thing. And I think especially for Music City, we need to increase as much diversity when it comes to music as possible because I already have a whole section of the city that is devoted to country music. You know what I mean? To downtown. I wonder if anybody with those exit end tattoos are like, what do we do? (laughs) What do we do? Do we still get free emission? Do we keep it? Or like, <laughs> I wonder that actually. I forgot about that exit in. Yeah, explain that, Joe, with the tattoos of people not Um, know. So I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like exit in offered 
um, that if you got an exit and tattoo of like the logo that you would get in to a certain amount of shows for free a year, I think is what it was. No, it says, uh, I'm reading an article right now. Believe it or not, if you got a tattoo of the exit in logo, you'll be granted free admission for life, which was in 2018. Um, yeah, we actually have a friend who got it. Um, and they, they definitely went to a ton of shows at exit in. So <laughs> I did love, uh, first of all, any version of the exit in tattoo will be ultimately screened by Justin, our door guy. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I just think that's really funny to be like, and Justin will do it. And Justin. If it, and then the way this is written, it's the written for the guy. Tennessee. If it passes the Justin test, oh man, that is, that's, I don't scary. think uh, it was Justin, but, um, I remember when I was doing student radio and I was like interviewing a band uh, in Exit In, there was like this bouncer guy. He was like bald. He was notoriously in town, like the worst bouncer, like attitude wise. Like he was an asshole. He, he like to every single person, to like venue staff, to to like artist staff, to fans, like everyone in town just hated this dude. And I think finally he like left or got let go or something. I don't know. But I just remember my interactions with that man were, were, were quite rough. But like at the same time, it was like, man, let's exit in, you know? <laughs> it's just kind of the vibe. It's kind of like a divey man, spot. If, so, uh, I don't know. There's something to the... Uh, I'm be, I'm a, it, you're gonna be but, devastated if that's actually Justin, but uh, I don't think it's Justin because like I went to a ton of accident shows after that guy, and he was not there anymore. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty positive that he, that guy took off. But, I don't know why um, I thought I would. If Justin, I looked up it, Justin, Justin, if that's you and you're yeah. listening to this, I I you know I have no ill will. Um, I think you're an Asheville staple in yourself. And I really do hope Back-tracking. that you, you also have you also have an exit. Backtrack. I'm just saying it was rude. I'm just saying. Fair. I feel, I sound like a Karen right now. <laughs> it was rude. It personally it offended rude. me. God, I um, should get a free show and backstage access and meet the band and free merch and signed merch and <laughs> all of the things. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. 
I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. 
For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming to a close, what uh, what Christmas music? Let's let's do this. What what holiday music have you been listening to? Uh, I've been listening to mostly holiday wise. Um, one of our staples, which is Mac DeMarco's Christmas covers, which I really like a lot because they're just weird, and everyone always asks me what the hell is this, and I go, "It's Mac DeMarco," and they go, "Oh, that makes sense." Um, and so. Yeah, he just does a Christmas cover usually every year. I don't know if he's done one this year, but usually they're like on YouTube and stuff, but I really like them, and they usually have really funny videos. Um, My friend, one of my mutual friends, has been showing me a lot in the Christian music realm of Christmas music that has been interesting, to say the least. Um, And now I just have all these songs uh, at work for every day. This I start. I think I started this monster. My buddy goes, have you heard of the song Christmas Shoes? And I said, no, I haven't heard of the song Christmas Shoes. Let's listen to it. And it's the most ridiculous song of all time. Um, And I was like, oh. (laughs) And uh, I started listening to it. The premise of the song is mom's dying in the hospital. Child is coming to the store to get her some shoes because that's all she he wants to get her. Because she wants, he wants her to look good for Jesus or God or whatever, whenever. And then this man sees it and he goes, I laid the money down, you know, and giving the money to the child. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's its own interesting story. But to be honest, it has like parts of it that are great to me. And uh Apparently I read and somebody told me this is that there's a movie version of that song and they get the chi- they get the the shoes for the mom and they come back to the hospital and she's dead already and I was like damn oh god <laughs> uh, anyway we've been playing that every day at work since like November 20th um at exactly 4:30 every day or 4:33 after we listen to Mariah Carey so that's what I've been listening to Joseph, what have you been listening to? Um, I have been listening to, honestly, not a lot of Christmas music this year, um, but we did the Panic Shop yesterday. Uh, We went to one of the bigger malls in uh, LA, and let me tell you, it was a wild fucking ride. Man, that that was a crazy, crazy night. Um, But... I would say Christmas-wise, I've actually been avoiding Mariah Carey's song this year. Uh, it's kind of insane because it's the first year that I've successfully. Have you been participated able to do that. in Whamageddon? Oh, okay, but yes, absolutely Wham, a hundred percent, all the all day, every day. I mean, it's the best Christmas song. Do you know it is the and best like, Christmas song? But like, uh, did you know? Have you? Do you know what Whamageddon is? Have I explained this on the show? I don't know. No. If I have. What is this? Okay, so apparently this is a fun game. I tried it out for a while and then I lost. And the whole point of it is from December 1st to December 25th, you try to go as far as you can without hearing Last Christmas by Wham. If you haven't made it this far and you're listening to this episode, good on you. You only got a couple more days to go. Last Christmas I gave you... Well, that doesn't count. Covers, 
are fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh, they're fine. So you can listen oh, to okay. covers and remixes and stuff. You just can't listen to the original one at all. And if it comes up like you're in the grocery store in Last Christmas, then you lose Whamageddon. Um, mm. I made it seven well, days I've lost into Whamageddon. Time. Yeah, I made it seven days into Whamageddon. Funny enough, I had a time bomb at work. Okay, so where I work is pretty big. It's a bigger warehouse. And I walk along and around it all the time. And I was on the other side of the warehouse. And my computer, I left playing a song. And I was going to come back like within one song. I literally went like, well, you know, I'll just I'll come back like in one song. I got to grab this thing. And I ended up talking to somebody. And the the song auto scrolled to Christmas stuff. I, I think I was listening to Paul McCartney, wonderful Christmas time. And then it went straight into last Christmas. And I swear to God, my coworkers go, no. And I was like, what, <laughs> what's going on? And I can't hear it. Cause I'm too far away. And they're like, Colin, your computer. And I was like, what? And I was like, is it like blaring like obscenities? What's happening? And they're like, no, it's playing wham. And I was like, oh, and I was like, I can't hear it from here. <laughs> and uh, like and they paused it or whatever. And, I, and they were so mad at me. But it was so funny because like um, I literally made it home. And then immediately as I got home, I'm on TikTok and it's some guy going, this is the best Christmas song. And then all of a sudden it starts blaring. And I was like, God damn it you know what i mean i was like <laughs> so mad because i had survived a premature death in whamageddon and then got home and lost immediately damn yeah it do be like that it do be like that do be like that every year um also shout out this isn't uh christmas music but uh, little sims just dropped a record that i think everybody should check out i i also think little sims is one of those artists that's going to be insanely huge um in the rap space like i really do i i feel like that could be the case okay um so yeah check out her record it's called no thank you she talks shit about her record label it's great um, that's what we like awesome. to see baby we love record labels they're the best okay and also uh we are listening to uh bad bunny's record a lot or at least i was um Shh, which spoilers <laughs> yeah you got to yeah. check out our Grammy stuff coming out in the next two weeks, folks. You still got time. You still got time. Come it's on. True. You can listen to it. And I've, you know, I've been listening to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Uh, oh, Joseph, stop. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to the Biz Tape. You're all things music, business, and media podcast. Had to throw out the formal Joseph on Joe there because he's spoiling our Grammy episodes, man, which are going to be our next two episodes. First episode, which will come out right after this one next week, is about the song of the year, the record of the year, and best new artist. And then the one after that will be only about the album of the year. You still have time if you want to participate. We have a poll on our Instagram and socials if you want to vote about what you think is the correct Correct winner of each category and if you just want to participate at home and listen to the episodes that'd be awesome too if you want to have a fun time with us anyway guys as always thank you so much we will see you next time
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. Every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.